now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Well, I know after last week, you all went home and you opened up your Bible and you just started these deep, deep Bible studies, right? I mean, you just look smarter even being in here from what you learned last week. I mean, I'm sure you all went back to your, like, your Facebook profile description and you've put in there now, theologian, because you know how to open the Bible and study it. And I hope that last week was helpful to you. But I believe that today, the discipline that we're going to talk about today is one of those things that we know we need to do it, but we tend to neglect it. And what we're talking about today is just simply talking to God. Isn't it fun watching children grow up and learning to pronounce words? Because they hear something one way, and then it comes out, and it's nowhere near it, right? If you don't mind me using my grandchildren as an illustration, for some of you, it may get old, but for me, it never does. So I'm the preacher. I get to use whatever illustration I want to. Um, but anyway, Charlie, she's our, she's, how old is she? Five. Five, five years old. And so um, she goes to El Amigo to eat the other day, and she calls it flamingo. <laughs> Whenever she was um, first using an umbrella, she would call it her unsumbrella. So I don't know if she's associated with the, the sun or whatever, but anyway. Um, and then we've got Porter. And by the way, they all spent the night at the house Friday night, or at least four of them did. And I got permission from all of them to use them as illustrations today. And so Porter, who is our seven-year-old uh, grandson, Whenever he was younger, he always wanted to make him a peanut butter and jelly swanwich, a swanwich. And he, now he says, I never said that. I said, oh, yes, you did, more than once. And then you've got Austin. Austin is our little three-year-old. And for her, everything now is associated with poo-poo. So I'm Pops, but she calls me Popsy Poo-Poo Head and because everything is that now. And then we've got Elias, who uh, he's two years old, and, and he's just kind of associating. He can't say TV. He says T-E, okay? But everything that he dips his food in is ketchup. So he dips his French fries and his chicken nuggets in ketchup, but also like the syrups on the table or on the plate, and he's dipping his pancakes also. He calls the syrup ketchup also. And if it's ranch, he's putting that in ketchup. You know, it's, it's, everything's ketchup because he just associates it that way. And as we grow and we watch them and we see them learn words and we love to hear them learn to talk and you'll get them to repeat things because you find humor in it because they don't have, quite have it right, but they learn and they grow and they begin to mature and the vocabulary just gets out there before you know it. I mean, just hearing a five-year-old using vocabulary that, you know, teenagers ought to be using. It's like, where does she learn these things? And, and, and so we see that. But in our Christian life, there should be some maturity to our talk as well. Not just in our language that we have with one another. That's a, that's a subject for another day. But as we grow in our maturity, the way that we dialogue with God should mature as well. And so today, we're going to talk about Prayer And some of the, well, I'm going to start off with talking about some of the reasons that I believe people don't pray, because some of these are reasons in the past that I haven't prayed, things that we haven't. So the first thing that I want to talk about, the reasons we neglect, neglect prayer, number one, is we don't think our prayers are effective. We don't think that our prayers 
our effect. We think God's gonna do what God wants to do no matter what I say, so what good does it do for me to pray? Several years ago, and some of you have heard this illustration today again before, but I'm gonna use it again. Tracy and I were over in Kenya. I was over there helping um, with a, a, a seminar that was going on over there, training some pastors, and Tracy had decided to go after the fact that I had bought my ticket. So when we bought our tickets, we weren't ticketed next to each other on the flights. And so when we were getting ready to leave Kenya to come home, we were seated nowhere near each other. So we're in the car on the way to the airport, and we're telling John Abrams, who is the leader of J-Life, he's in the car with us, we're telling him the story that, oh man, we're going to the airport, we're not sitting by each other, it's going to be a long flight, sitting by somebody you don't know, blah, blah, blah. And so John just starts praying. Dear Lord, I just pray that you'll just help them to be able to get seated next to one another on the flight. And when he finished, Tracy just said, John, why didn't you just pray that I would get first class? And he said, now you're getting greedy. And so anyway, we get on, and I was boarding before her because of the way the ticketing was. And so I get on the plane, and I walk to the back of this plane that probably seated 500 people, okay? It's one of those big ones. And so I go to the back, and I get back there, and there's a girl in my seat. And she says, sir, um, my husband and I are traveling together, but we didn't get ticketed with each other. Would you mind taking my seat? It's up in the front, not first class, but it was up in the front. And I said, yeah, I'll do it. My, you know, it doesn't matter to me. So I go up there, I get in her seat and I'm sitting there kind of getting situated and Tracy starts walking down the aisle. And I looked at her and I said, well, where are you sitting? She looks at her ticket. She goes, in first class. No, she didn't. She said, right next to you. I'm like, are you kidding me? Of all the seats on this whole plane, we get seated next to one another. Now I'm really mad that John didn't pray for first class, okay? Because something about his prayer seemed to work. Or are you hearing stories about people that, um, that lose their keys? Just, Lord, show me where my keys are. And they, you know, all of a sudden, their keys fall off the shelf. And you're like, why does God care about somebody sitting on a plane? Why does God care about somebody losing their keys? But yet, at the same time, I've been praying for a lost loved one, or I've been praying for a loved one who's straying away, or somebody who's sick, and I've been praying for years and years and years. Why don't you hear those prayers? Why don't you answer those prayers? What difference does it make where I sat on an airplane? What difference does it make if you ever find your keys again? But it really does make a difference whenever I'm praying for somebody that I desperately want to see them healed or I desperately want to see them get through something. And it just doesn't seem like those prayers are effective. And so we look back and we go, God, you seem to care about things that don't really matter, but the things that really do matter. And so we just back off and we go, prayer's not effective. And so we don't do it. Another reason is, is we get neglectful and or distracted. Now, I'm a very distracted prayer. I'm a distracted studier. I study in coffee shops, and the reason is, is because I, I'm, I like studying spurts. So I give it a really good hard study for about 30, 45 minutes, maybe up to an hour, and then I've got to people watch for a moment, or I've got to get on my phone for a moment, or whatever, you know, take, answer some emails, whatever the case may be. So I'm a distracted, so I'm a distracted prayer as well. I'll be like, all right, got my prayer list on my computer or on my phone, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking over it, and all of a sudden, my phone buzzes. And so you're talking to God, but you're wondering who's texting you. And you're going, hold on, God. And you go over and you check it, and then you get in this text conversation. You go, oh, I'm supposed to be praying. And you put it, back, put it away, and you get back at it. You know? Or 
you know, something else happens or if you're a mom or a dad, you're praying and you got the kids screaming in the other room and, you know, you got to go make sure that somebody's not beating another kid up. So you get sidetracked, you get distracted or just life is busy. You're like, where am I going to pray? I try to do it going down the road and, you know, that's even distracted praying to some degree. So we just get to a place where we're just neglectful and or we have a distracted life and we neglect prayer. Another reason is, is we don't feel very close to God. And the reason we get there is for maybe a couple of reasons. Number one can be discouragement. I'm just discouraged and I just don't feel very close to God. It feels like when I pray, my prayers are going nowhere. They're just like bouncing off the ceiling if they're making it even that high. Or you just, you're just discouraged in life. And when you're discouraged in life, you just don't feel like talking to God. Or maybe you're in the midst of a sin in your life. You've got some sin going on in your life. And when you're in sin, we certainly don't want to talk to God. Because then we got to tell him about our sin and we got to confess it. And then there's an obligation to stop it, you know, because why would you confess it to God and you continue to do it? It's kind of like when your, your teenager is in rebellion or when you were a teenager and you were in rebellion and you come in late at night or you come in after school and you just close the door and you walk straight to your room and you don't even talk to anybody. Why? Because kind of in that state of rebellion and you just don't want to be around the people that you have to answer to. And so that's the same way we get with prayer. I think we just get to a place we just don't feel very close to God. So I think we all have, and there's a, there's a list. I mean, we were in here kind of going over things on Friday, and I said, Why don't, what, what are the reasons you don't pray? Or what are the reasons you just feel like people neglect prayer? There were other reasons. There's a lot of other reasons. This is the list I formed. But I do think there are some reasons that no matter where we are in these, that we still ought to push through and we still ought to make prayer a discipline of our life every single day of our life. And the number one reason, and you know this, it conforms us to God's will. It conforms us to God's will. Because I believe if you read scripture, and if you look at the lives of people, and some of this we don't understand, it's a mystery that only God knows, and he doesn't always let us know about, but there are some things that would be God's unconditional will. That no matter how many prayers you pray, you are not going to change the outcome. God has already set that in motion, or God has already foreordained that to happen a certain way. I got a couple of illustrations for you. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, but was 100% man at the same time, prayed a prayer that acknowledged God's unconditional will. And here it was, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said this, Father, if you are willing remove this cup from me. And the cup that he was talking about was the cup of suffering on the cross. He said, if you're willing, God, let this cup pass from me or remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In his humanity, Jesus did not want to go to the cross. He did not want to suffer that awful death for you and me, but he knew there was no other way for our salvation. And so he said, even though I want my will in my humanity to be done and be delivered from the cup, God, I realize that there is an unconditional will that no matter how many prayers, even the son of God in the flesh or in, 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 in his humanity prayed, no matter how many prayers he prayed, that will was not going to change. It was God's unconditional will. There's another story in the book of Matthew. It's about a mom who had two boys that she desperately loved. And she wanted them to be favored by Jesus. And when she asked a question, he said to her, what do you want? She said, say that these two sons of mine, 
James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. This is a mom talking. She's pretty proud of her sons. She said, Jesus, let me just tell you, James and John, they're different than all the rest. They're not like Peter, who's so wishy-washy. They're not like Nathaniel, who can look at you and go, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? And he's not like any of the others. These two boys, James and John, they are solid. So when you get to heaven and you're sitting on your throne, can you just put one on your right and one on your left? And Jesus goes, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Talking about his cup of suffering, but they didn't know what he was talking about. And they said to him, we are able. They didn't really know what they were saying. What they were saying is, we're able to drink the cup of your suffering. So Jesus kind of posed that question. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. Meaning, you two boys, James and John, you are going to drink the cup of suffering. It's believed that James suffered a martyr's death at the, at the hands of Herod Agrippa. And it's, we know for a fact that John was exiled late in his life to the Isle of Patmos. And he suffered. Both of these men suffered. And he says, you will drink my cup or you will suffer, but to sit one at my right hand and one at my left hand, that's not mine to grant, but is for those whom it has, or for whom it has been prepared by my father. What Jesus was saying, hey, as much as I love you boys, and as much as I admire you and thank you for being a follower of mine, there are some things that God the Father has already set in stone that no matter how many prayers of a mama come before the throne of God, that's not changing. It is the unconditional, predetermined will of God that will not change no matter how many prayers we pray. If you go back to the Old Testament, there's three boys by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who recognized this attribute, or they recognized this about God, that there were some unconditional wills of God that would not change no matter how many prayers, but they were gonna pray it anyway. They were gonna ask for it anyway. And as they had refused to bow down and worship the golden image that the king had set forth, they were getting ready to be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. And... In this conversation, they said, if this be so, if we have to go to this burning, fiery furnace, our God whom we serve, he is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. We know that God can deliver us. He's able to do whatever he wants to do, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. We, we know for certain he can deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, but no matter what, we know that we're doing what's right and we will be delivered from your hand, O king. That's gonna happen one way or the other. But if not, if we don't get delivered from the burning fiery furnace, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now we're so confident, we are so confident in the unconditional will of God that if his unconditional will for us is to be thrown into a furnace and to be burned alive, if somehow people read our stories or hear about our stories and God is glorified and God's name is magnified, we're okay with that. But we know he's capable of doing something else. We know he's capable of delivering us from the furnace 
and bringing glory to his name and his name being magnified through that as well. But either way, we're okay. Either way, we're okay with the will of God. And I put it this way, and sometimes this is the prayer that I actually pray. And I'll pray this over people. People that I don't know what God's unconditional will is for someone's life or death. I don't understand that. I pray it this way. God, I know you can, and I pray you will. God, I know you're capable of healing this person. God, I know you're capable of rescuing this person from addiction. God, I know you're capable, and you fill in the blank with whatever your prayers are. God, I know you can, and I pray desperately that you will. But ultimately, I pray that I can trust your will. God, ultimately, I pray that if you put me in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace, and that is your will for my life, my prayer is that I'll be okay with it. Help my life and my will to line up with your unconditional will. That's the first reason we pray, to line us up with the unconditional will of God. Now, we may or may not know what that looks like, and it may or may not be pleasant for us, but ultimately, God be glorified and God be magnified. And may my life bring glory to him as I submit my life to his will. Another reason that we pray is we do it to maintain a relationship with God. Conversation, talking to God, going to God and pleading with him and acknowledging him and saying we recognize who you are. We recognize, God, that you're the source of all things. That, God, you are sovereign over all things. You're the ultimate authority over all of life. And we acknowledge that about you. How good would my relationship with Tracy... Sorry, series. I'm going to turn that thing off one of these days. Um, The relationship that I have with Tracy would not be very good if we never talked, right? Like, man, they never talk. How can they have a good marriage. You can't have a good relationship with God if you don't talk. When you go to Matthew chapter six, here's what Jesus said. Pray like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our father, relationship, relationship with God the father. So when we pray, we're bringing glory to God and we are acknowledging that he is the source of all things. If you study the Lord's prayer, that's what Jesus is saying. We acknowledge that God, Jesus, that God, you are the authority over all things, that all of our source of abundance, all of everything that we'll ever need in life comes directly from you as our good, good father in heaven, the relationship aspect of that. And we acknowledge that. So you ought to pray whether you feel like it or not to maintain the relationship with God. And you know what? Sometimes it's prayers like this. God, listen, today I don't even feel like talking to you. And you think God's gonna go, oh, I did not know that. No, you know what he goes? I could tell. I could tell in the way that you were walking around. I could tell by the way you were neglecting me. And you're just acknowledging what God already knew already. You've had those conversations. Somebody just tells you something about about your relationship. You go, I already knew that. I could tell by the way you were acting around me. So we just go to God and we just acknowledge those things, but we maintain the relationship. And another reason, this is the one that gets us hung up, is we also pray to change an outcome. Now, listen, this one's hard for me. This one's hard for me because I don't always see the answer to the prayer the way I always pray. 
And so there's an indication in Scripture. When you read Scripture at face value, you go to the Old Testament, start reading stories, story after story after story. And there seems to be some level of indication that certain outcomes were dependent upon prayer. And I don't believe that it's like this formula for prayer, that you got to say the right thing at the first, you got to say the right thing in the middle, and then you've got to put the spiritual postage stamp on it in Jesus' name and then mail it to heaven, and it gets there, and God says, oh, I'm obligated now. I've got to do exactly what they said because they got the formula right. And I don't believe that's the way it works, but I think there are some things that God as a heavenly father is wanting from us when it comes to prayer because prayer does have an effect on the outcome in certain cases. James chapter one, verse five. Here's what James, the half-brother of Jesus said. If any of you lacks wisdom, anybody lack wisdom in the room? Few of us, few of us. Let him ask God for wisdom who gives generously, gives wisdom generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So you don't feel very wise? God is saying, listen, I am the source of all wisdom. And the more you pray for wisdom, the more I'll give it to you. And the more wisdom you have, the more your life will line up with the will of God. Because we know in our wisdom that God always knows best. But we don't always get wisdom. Why? Because we don't ask for it. So it's an if then. If you ask for it, then I will give it to you. There's an outcome of you getting wisdom based upon whether or not you asked for it. James chapter four, verse three, here's how he said this. You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly. You've got the wrong motives. You, you do it to spend on your own passions. You're asking from a selfish standpoint. So you've got to go to God with the right attitude and the right spirit. And if you ask the right way, God is going to answer your prayers. Because usually when we do that, we're just acknowledging that God is a source of all wisdom, that God is the source of all life, and that, God, we are just not going to ask things selfishly. I'm not looking at you, God, as a vending machine, God, that if I get the right things in there that you're going to spit out exactly what I want. That's not the way this works. And it's not if you have necessarily enough faith that, that God's going to answer a certain way, and if you don't, it's like, ah, you didn't pray enough. You didn't say amen the right way. You, you, didn't, you forgot Jesus in there. You just said, in your name. No, it's in Jesus' name. And we, we think we missed the formula, and God doesn't, is not obligated, and so he doesn't answer. That's not the way this works. But there are some things that are dependent upon us, us asking. And there's a story in Luke chapter 18 that Jesus gives. That's, it's one of those stories that I've looked at many, many times, and I'm just like, I wish I could totally figure this out. But I'm going to do my best to explain it to you as I've studied this out this week for the next couple of minutes. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and to not lose heart. So he's telling them the end time is coming and I want you to know that there's gonna be a tendency for you to be discouraged in when it comes to prayer. And I want you to always to pray and never to lose heart. Don't give up praying. And I'm gonna tell you a parable, which is a heavenly story with an earthly meaning, or an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's taking a, a heavenly truth and laying it beside a story that we can understand. It's an illustration. For illustration purposes, he tells this story. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected 
man, this very carnal, heartless judge in this certain city. And there was a widow in that same city who just kept coming to him and saying to him, give me justice against my adversary. This little persistent, frail little widow comes to this judge who had seemed to have no heart whatsoever for people, certainly not a heart for God. And she comes to him and says, I need justice against my adversaries. I need your help. For a while, this judge continued to refuse. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. So he's saying over and over, she'd come to him and she said, lady, get away. I've got bigger fish to fry. I got other problems to deal with that are far more important than you dealing with some of your little adversaries that are trying to take advantage of you. I got other people that, that have more important problems for me to deal with. He said, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So eventually, this unjust judge who doesn't fear God and certainly doesn't fear man, eventually, he gives in to the persistence of this little widow who had no power over him, who was totally dependent upon his ruling and upon his justice and upon his authority and power, and she just keeps bugging him about it, just keeps going at it. And finally, he gives in. And so Jesus said this. He said, hear what the unjust or unrighteous judge says. I want you to listen to the conversation. I want you to go back and reflect. This judge, who neither feared God nor feared man, gave in to the persistence of a widow. He says, and will not God give justice to his elect? Or those of us who his who are his followers, will God not give us, us justice who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? He's saying, if an unjust judge gives into the persistence of a widow, God is a much better father than that. He's a much more loving and caring father than that judge is. So why wouldn't he listen to the pleas of his people? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Ultimately, we're all going to receive the justice that God promises. It may not always look the way we think it's going to look, but ultimately that prayer is going to be answered. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This unjust judge is being contrasted with God, meaning that he was unloving, no fear of God, no fear of man. God is so far on the other side of the spectrum from that. So he looks at that and he goes, and, the, and then this little widow is like you and me or the disciples of Christ who would come to him and, and recognize that he's our only hope. He's our only source of anything that we need. He is our, the source of all things in life that we need to get through a, search, a circumstance or a situation. He is the only way through that. And he's the source of justice ultimately in our life. So I just kind of summarize it this way. God desires for us to be persistent in prayer and to never, ever, ever stop praying. Don't stop praying no matter what. Even if it's not answered in a timely fashion, don't stop praying. Because if it's God's unconditional will that he is laying out and you're not okay with that yet, the more we pray and the more we acknowledge, God, I know you can and I pray you will, 
But nevertheless, help my will to line up with yours. I pray that I can trust your will no matter what. So either way, I'm going to pray and I'm never gonna stop praying because ultimately it may line me up with God's will. But then again, God may finally go, hey, I have heard enough and I'm gonna answer your prayer. You go back to the book of, uh, in, in the book of Kings, Hezekiah got word from the prophet that he was going to die. You know what he did? He prayed that he wouldn't die. And the prophet said, God heard your prayer and he's not gonna let you die. And the prophet Hezekiah said, how do I know? He said, I know there's lots of ways, but here's what I want God to do. I want him to take the sun and back it up 10 degrees. That way I know that God heard my prayer and he's answering my prayer. And you know what happened? God backed the sun up 10 degrees. And Hezekiah was given 15 more years of life. Was there some kind of a conditional prayer that God looked at and said, Hezekiah begged and pleaded enough, I'm going to give him an additional 15 years of life. And then other places, David, we know, went to God on behalf of his, of his young child, and he prayed that he would live, but yet God chose to take him. And God said, and, and David's response was that there's a time to pray and there's a time for him to mourn and grieve, but then ultimately, I'm trusting the will of God. And that's a hard place to get, but that's what prayer helps us to do. And when we go to God in prayer, two things. Number one, we talk to God about ourselves. It's important to you to go to God and talk to him about yourself. Here's what he said to his disciples just before he went to the cross. He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You and I need to spend time in prayer for ourselves. God, I pray that you will help me through the day because I know I'm gonna be, be tempted to stray away. God, I'm gonna be tempted in certain things. I know I'm gonna be facing something at work. I'm gonna be facing something at school. I'm facing something with my family. And God, today I need you to help me through this day. And so you need to go to God and pray for yourself. But we also need to pray for one another. I would just tell you this, I covet the prayers of this church. When people just randomly send me a text and tells me they're praying for me, it just does something to encourage me in my spirit. And I want you to know that I am praying for you. When I'm on social media, when I get a text message, when we look at the prayer list, I am praying for the needs of the people of this church as I know them. As I'm scrolling through and I see somebody saying something about prayer, I stop right there in that moment and, and just whisper a prayer. It may just be a few seconds, but I'm praying. And we need to pray for one another. Talk to God about one another. And Jesus said this to his disciples, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. When you go through the trial, when you go through the discouragement, when you are tempted to get off track, I am praying for you that your faith ultimately will not fail. This is the prayer he prayed for Peter. When Peter was sifted like wheat, when he went out and he betrayed, or I'm sorry, when he denied Jesus, he says, I am praying for you that even though you go through that trial and even though you slip and fall, I am praying that ultimately your faith may not fail. And you know what happened? Peter's faith didn't fail. He did slip and fall. He did deny Jesus. But in the end, he became one of the greatest leaders of the early church. Jesus' prayer was answered. So when you go to God in prayer, Real quickly, this is how you pray. Number one, adoration. God, I recognize who you are, that you are the ultimate 
authority over all things. My life, the life of my loved ones, my financial status, my health, my loved one's health. God, listen, I recognize who you are and I trust you no matter what. That's hard to say. It's hard to say, it's hard to, it's hard to acknowledge when you're going through something that God, you may not answer my prayer the way I want my prayer to be answered. But God, ultimately, I, I trust you and I adore you. And I don't want the outcome of this situation to change my love for you. I don't want it to change my faith in you. I don't want it to change who I am. So God, I adore you. And God, I just want you to know there are some things in my life that aren't quite lining up with your word. God, I'm not obedient in this certain area. And we begin to confess our sins to him specifically. God, you know what I said to that person. You know how I treated my wife. You know how I treated my kids. You know how I treated my parents. You know that rebellion I'm going through. God, I just acknowledge my sin before you and I ask that you forgive me because I want our relationship to be what it needs to be, God. And I just confess that to you today. And I thank you. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you for always knowing what is best. I thank you for your unconditional love. God, I thank you that you will never leave me, and that God, you will never forsake me, no matter what I go through. Thank you for being unchangeable. And God, I'm just coming to you in supplication, and I'm asking you God, you know the greatest need and the greatest prayer that is on my heart right now. And you know what I desire. And God, I know, I know. I know you can heal. God, I know you can bring about change. God, I know you can change someone's spirit and you can change their heart. I know you can do that. And God, today, I desperately pray that you will. I pray you will. Because you're the only one who can. But God, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And help me to trust you no matter what. Church, you must always pray and never, ever, ever lose heart because God is always good no matter what. He's always good. 
no matter what. And he can be trusted in his unconditional will. And you can trust that he's hearing your prayers in the conditional will. Don't ever, ever, ever stop praying. Let's stand together. Father, again, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are a God who listens. And God, today, you know the prayers on our heart. God, things that we don't even know how to utter, but you know the groanings. And Lord, today we pray that you will hear us and remind us that you are good no matter what. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray.